told you we had our uh, five-year-old and seven-year-old granddaughters for about 10 days or so without their parents. And I know this will shock you to death, but um, daily I would hear these words coming out of their mouths at least several times. I'm bored. I'm bored. Being interpreted, that means I want to play on a screen. Right? Parents, grandparents, you understand? Because what they really want is the dopamine hit that comes from playing on a screen that feeds an addiction in their brains that makes them feel like, that feel some kind of pleasure and that they like this. So we, let it, we limited it, but um, usually my response was, well, hello, board. I'm Grandpa. Nice to meet you. Amen. Papa was the response. We may not say it, but we often act the same way as they do. As if life, um, you know, as adults, we get used to stuff, and so we just live through it, and and we don't say that as much as kids do. In an upside-down world, we're constantly chasing that which, um, in some way, shape, or form, gives us the same kind of dopamine hit, same kind of pleasure, same kind of meaning. And there's all kinds of alcoholics groups out there. We're familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, um, and Shopping Anonymous, all kinds of stuff. The addiction changes, but our, in our upside-down world and in our human nature, we gravitate to things that will make us feel better. Even spiritual things. We can do spiritual things for the wrong reason other than pursuing God. Especially when we're in the midst or when we're facing something uncomfortable or something painful. We look for that which will make us feel better. And God invites us to so much more than that. Because, and, and, and we ju- usually gravitate to things that will make us feel better um, because we don't have a point of reference of how God wants us to handle those uncomfortable or painful things. The reality is that God has, uh, offers us a life of meaning and satisfaction and even adventure at some times. But because we don't have a point of reference, we settle for things that just soothe over the pain or, or give us a momentary bit of satisfaction. God offers so much. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. My plan is that this will be the last week we look at Jehoshaphat. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and we'll begin looking at verse 18. We've been looking at this for a number of different weeks. Um, And what we see is that Jehoshaphat had no idea that he was on the edge of God inviting him into adventure, into meaning, into satisfaction. What he saw was Thousands, hundreds of thousands of people threatening to destroy his city and his country. That's what he saw. He saw danger. When we are 
uncomfortable, we will look for satisfaction. Jehoshaphat was uncomfortable, and he had a choice. Am I going to try to medicate? Am I going to try to dull the pain? Am I going to try to do something that will make me feel better? Or am I going to go to God and allow him to do what he wants to do? Knowing that God is God, that he's made promises, and that he will be there if I turn to him. Jehoshaphat had no idea he was on the edge of an adventure. He thought he was on the edge of being destroyed, of a, of a disaster. And oftentimes in our lives, when we think we're on the edge of a disaster, God is saying, oh no, no, no. Turn to me and I'll show you the adventure that I've actually got for you. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 18. But it required something of it. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. This is after the prophet had come and said, this battle's not yours. Um, um, God said through the prophet, this is my battle, and I will fight for you. And so Jehoshaphat's immediate response, I love this, because he could have said, all right, the battle's God's. I, I, I I don't have to do anything. Instead, he responded by bowing his face, with, bowing his head with his face to the ground. He responded by surrendering, submitting, giving God full access. Do you know how hard that is to do? Because what we're doing is surrendering complete control. That's so hard. But God, what do you want me to do? Nothing except for listen, confess, repent, and obey. Bowed his head. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the musicians, and the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa, obeying God. So they gave up their plans, their ideas, they just cooperated to God in sync with God. And they went out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Obey. Confess that he's Lord. Confess. Turn, repent away from your own ideas and plans and just follow him. And when he had taken counsel with the people... He appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him in holy attire as they went before the army and, and, uh, and, and, and say, give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. They don't yet know what He's going to do. But they praised Him. Because they just believed in His promise. They didn't know what He was going to do, but He said He would fight for them. I want you to listen to me. That's what He says to all of us. We, and, but he doesn't have a habit of telling us what he's going to do, right? He says, trust me, and you'll be on this adventure. Trust me, and I will fight for you. Trust me, and I will care for you. Trust me, and I will provide for you. Trust me, and I will walk you through this life, regardless of what happens. I don't know. I, let me get this right. I don't know about tomorrow. <laughs> but I know... Who holds my hand. 
Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when, when they began to sing, when they began to sing and praise. So when we think about prayer gathering, I, you know, there are often times when we gather for prayer, I don't know what God wants to do. But when we worship him, we align with him, we give him access so he can do whatever he wants, he starts working. But if we don't align with him, we're over here and he's over there. That's why confession, repentance, and obedience is so essential. Being in sync with him. So they began to sing and praise. And then as they did that, as they did that, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Perseverance in confession, repentance, and obedience was what allowed Jehoshaphat and the people of Jerusalem and Judah to experience the miracle, Mm -hmm. the adventure, the rescue of God. It's the same with us. Perseverance is the battle. It's not knowing what God is doing. It's just persevering alongside him, continuing to do it. Last week, we talked about confession, repentance, and obedience. And I put it in your outline there again. To confess is to acknowledge our sinfulness and our separation from God. It's to say, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm, and that it separates me from God. To repent is a 180 degree turn. So to confess is to acknowledge that I'm a sinner. To repent is to say, I'm not living that way anymore. I'm going to do a U-turn 180 degrees from doing what I want to do to doing what God wants to do. To repent is to turn from sin to Christ, from loving sin to hating it, from refusing Christ to serving Him. And then obedience is to continue in that. Just to walk a step, to listen, and then to walk a step. Now, as I was preparing this week, um, a statement came into my mind, is that some times we experience an eternal angst, worry, dissatisfaction, um, fear, because we are disconnected from God by our sin. But that disconnect isn't a one-for-one logic. And so the angst that you're feeling, often we will go to God to try to get rid of the angst, get rid of the worry, um, because we know it shouldn't be there, and, and it's, it's a result of sin over here in a different part of my life. One of the, um, the, the big ones that I've, I've heard from counselors and pastors over the years is when men watch pornography and they're involved in sexual sin, there's great anger over here. It doesn't seem like there's a one-to-one connection with it. But because there's, they're giving their hearts to this, they're angry at work. They're angry at home. They're angry in different ways. And it's true of other things. 
Um, anytime we have an addiction. So somebody, somebody could be a shopaholic. And they shop and they, and, and because they just like that, you know, something about that. And, and not realizing that the source of that is, the problem is not that they like to shop. The problem is there's something, there's a sin over here that is causing them to be unsettled. So as we, as we look at this, I would challenge you to ask God, what, it, it, where might I not be in sync with you? Especially if there's an angst in your spirit, if there's a, if there's a dissatisfaction with your life in any area, God, where's that coming from? Because we don't know. Satan is really good at, at hiding things and camouflaging things and, and helping us to ne- not make that connection. He wants to keep us away from that. That's why it's so important that we confess and come clean before God and even ask, God, is there anything else in my life that I'm not even aware of that I need to surrender to you? And let him reveal it and then be willing to repent and, and obey. So let's talk about persevering in, in that kind of confession, that kind of coming clean with God, that willingness to let him do deep surgery in things that we don't even want to look at. Confession, the right kind of persevering in confessing, repenting, obeying, as a way of, to live in this abundant life adventure that God has for us. And so my goal today is to My goal today is to get you to leave here going, wow, that Pastor Herb, he's a great speaker. <laughs> I hope you're laughing at that. Yeah. Because that's not my goal. My goal is to move you to confess, repent, and obey. Amen. To move you to action, to bother you so deeply mm-hmm. that when you leave this place, you're going, maybe, I hate that Pastor Herb. He's always meddling in my life. And I was fine when I came here, but now I'm... So some of you may need to get an Uber because you're, the people that you came with is going to be grumpy when you leave. But my goal is to move you to go to God, is to take action. Because what I know is when we come clean before God and it opens up an intimacy with him, an alignment with him that brings the satisfaction that we desire, that we go to other things to try to get. And it's the only way. So let's talk about it. Number one, the invitation to God's adventure is follow me. And when I say adventure, I'm talking about this abundant life, daily satisfaction that is so deep, that makes life worthwhile. Follow me. It's a return to Eden satisfaction because we chase all of that stuff. Sin is not a problem. Sin is the problem. Sin is anything that we're doing in disobedience to God. That's the problem that has all kinds of tentacles and ramifications and symptoms all the way through. Eden satisfaction is this intimacy with God that Adam and Eve had because they were clean before God. They were clean with each other. They were clean before creation. And life was satisfying. That's what God wants to give us taste of now and permanently when we get to heaven. The refusal to, to confess and repent and to obey is to say to God, I'm okay with being unhappy. 
all the time. Because you will be. Oh, you, you have moments when screen time, when you're playing Mario Kart, if you're a seven-year-old. Is that what it's called? Mario Kart? Mario Kart. Mario Kart. They keep saying that too. As I say Mario because I'm thinking Lemieux and Mario Kart. Yeah. I don't know. Just these screens, you know, these cars going all over the place and crashing. Look at Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. An invitation to God's adventure is follow me. And in order to follow, you have to confess and repent and obey. Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 17. Does anybody need a Bible? Anybody got one? Jesus sends out 72 of his followers to go to different towns announcing that the kingdom of God has come, heal the sick, cast out demons, um, and announce the kingdom of God so that um, they would prepare the way for him to go. They return in Luke 10, 17 with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. You think that was a dopamine hit? You think that was a thrill? Oh man, they're out there going, casting out demons, they're, they're feeling powerful, they're feeling spiritual, they're fe they've, they feel like they have found what they were looking for. And so they come back with joy, and he said to them, reality check, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, I've got power over everything, guys. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Yes, I rejoice with you because you're operating in the kingdom of God. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this. Don't let that be the joy in your life. That's not where it's at. That's, that's a momentary um, excitement. That's, a, that's, a, that's great. It's, it's good to have moments like that when you could see the victory, when you could see God working. He says, but that's not what you live for. That's not what you rejoice for. But that's what we do, isn't it? We had a moment. And so prayer gathering in July was wonderful and God's been working. And, and we look back on that and go, oh man, God was working. That's not the joy. Some of you have been healed in your life. And that's wonderful because that must be what God wants. And we rejoice that we're, we're glad for that. That's not where he says to live. Here's where it is. Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice. Take your joy, your satisfaction, your meaning in life, what you long for, that your names are written in heaven. Amen. In other words, that you have an intimacy with God. That's where the joy is. You see, it's not all the good stuff that happens in our lives that God gives good gifts. No. Every day it's about intimacy with Him. It's about experiencing life with Him. The satisfaction that we have because of a relationship with Him. It's about follow me. Follow me. Walk in step with me. Confess and repent and obey so that you can walk. So it's not about confession. That's the means. It's not about repentance. That's the means it's not about obedience. That's the means for walking in sync with him. Follow me. Matthew 9, 9. 
Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth. If you remember Matthew, he was a tax collector, which meant he was a traitor to the Jewish people working for the Romans, hated by all the Jewish people. And he's walking along with his other disciples and he goes, follow me. And Matthew rose and followed him. You know what Matthew did in that moment? Without, we don't know if he verbalized it or not, he, but he confessed that he was wrong. And he repented of that. He left all of that behind, all of the wealth that came with it. And he obeyed what Jesus said. Was he perfect yet? No, he was confused. But I guarantee you, in that moment, as he's sitting at the banquet that Matthew throws for him in the next few moments, when the other disciples are probably sitting around going, why are we here? He has more joy than he's had in his entire life. Because he's in the presence of Jesus. Luke 9.23. One of our memory scriptures from the past. Jesus said to all, to all, circle all. Because some people say, oh, well, this is just the commandment that he gave to his twelve. No. This is to all of us. He says, if anyone would come after me, be a Christ follower, let him deny himself. That's confession, repentance, and obedience. Denying ourselves. Choosing not to do what I would naturally want to do in order to do what God wants me to do. Take up his cross daily. That means we die to ourselves daily. That's what a cross was. A cross was an instrument of death. And follow me. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. In order to put your head in the yoke of Christ, you have to stop doing what you're doing to join him. Confess, repent, stop going your way because now you're walking in step with him. You're going his way. That's Jesus' invitation. It's, it's simple. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to earn it. You just need to turn around. And if somebody like Matthew can do it, anyone can do it. So that's the invitation. I put a note there says, that says, it requires a willingness to live with uncertainty in circumstances. Oh, I hate this. And some of you who, who really like control will struggle with it even more. Because God does not have a habit of giving us his lifetime plan. Mm. Frankly, he often doesn't even give you the plan for the month mm -hmm. or the week or the day, or, the day. <laughs> or possibly the next hour. And we have to be willing to live with the uncertainty that would cause us angst because a big part of what he's trying to do is to get us to trust him. That's the, that's the essence of what we where we have to go is to get us to trust him. Um, so I was at the playground with the M&M girls, Maddie and Melanie, the five and seven-year-olds, and then also Landon, the four-year-old grandson. And we were playing around, and, and uh, Landon is it's like he has no brakes, and he has no fear. So he's just climbing and climbing, you know, jumping, and 
Um, and then the five-year-old wants to follow him. And you get to this piece of playground equipment where you get up, and then there's a pole that you slide down. Well, Landon's just flying up there, jumping. He's going around. The five-year-old gets to the edge, and that pole's just a little bit farther than she's comfortable grabbing. Papa, help me. Those are the words Jesus wants to hear. Papa, help me. And then I came over and I grabbed her and she was still afraid. I said, do you trust me? Just trust me. I, I, I got you. I'm not going to let you fall. Just, just trust me. That's what Jesus says to us. Mm-hmm. Trust me. That's what he's trying to do. So those circumstances where um, you think, God ought to take care of this. He will take care of this. But his bigger goal is to get you to trust him. And he knows the place to poke. He knows the place where we need to learn trust much more than we do. And so you, there, there are times when we think, well, God ought to take care of this. He is. And teaching you how to trust. And so I held on to it. Finally, she was able to trust me. And I, and I brought her over the pole. And I said, okay, wrap your legs around there. And then I, I slowly let her get, get to the ground and then do it again. Why? Because she had learned it's okay. That's what God is doing with us, right? So trust, it's about trust. But we have to be willing to live with uncertainty in what God is doing. Number two, signing up for God's adventure. Signing up for God's adventure. Um, I talked with the leadership team this last week about, um, I believe that God, I think it was the leadership team, I may have talked to other people (laughs) about this. I believe God has us in the middle of something special in experiencing Him. I think He's drawing us to Himself. I think He's he's doing things among us organically. He's, He's reaching into some of your lives to try to to heal um, emotionally and mentally, spiritually. He's trying to get us trusted. The, the uh, prayer gathering in July was something pretty special where it's continued to have impact as we go forward. I think he's got us into some, something pretty special. But I think we don't recognize when we're in the middle of something special. I don't think the disciple, I think they knew, okay, this is a rabbi and we think he's the son of God. I don't think, but I don't think they had any idea the epic they were in. Um, How many of you are Lord of the Rings fans? Why aren't the rest of you raising your hand? Come on, seriously, come on. (laughs) I love Lord of the Rings. J.R.R. Tolkien was a Christian who used that as a metaphor. And it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I understand that. Some of you like the Hallmark Channel. Or the sci-fi channel or whatever. But in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo is the hero. You talk about ordinary. He's just an ordinary. And then his sidekick, Sam, is even less than ordinary. He's an uneducated uh, landscaper that works for Frodo's family. And he goes, they go on this adventure and they, they don't realize that they're, they know they're on some kind of adventure, but they don't realize that this is epic until they get on until at the end of the first um, 
book or the, the first uh, movie, they, they come into this realization that, oh, there's other people here that are way more powerful and strong and talented than we are. This, we're in the, the middle of something. In the second movie, they really get into it. By the end of the movie, they, they begin to have conversations with each other about, what in the world are we in? And at the end of that second movie, they, begin, they, they, they start asking each other, I wonder what the heroes of the past did when it looked like there was no way to keep going. And they say, I think they just kept going. And then you get to the third one, and they realize that they're in, to, in something incredible. They realize that this is an epic adventure on which their shoulders lies the hope for the world. And they have this, what, what will people say to us when all this is, what will people say about us when all this is over? Will they think that we were heroes or will they think, what, will they talk about, will they, will they write songs about us? Because they knew they were in something pretty special. Every one of us is in something pretty special if we're walking a step with God. We have no idea the ramifications in our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives, our friends, our neighbors, among us as a congregation. What I can tell you is I've worked with a lot of pastors. I've worked with a lot of churches. Something special is happening among us that is not happening in most of the congregations across the United States. The Spirit of God. He invites us. He's inviting us. But in order to experience it, for Frodo and Sam, it was just the little things that mattered. Just keep going. Just keep going. Just do what we need to do. Don't kill the weird, what was it called? What was he called? Gollum. Don't kill him. Don't kill him. You know, it, because it, that was part of their assignment. It was just doing the right thing when you wanted to do something different. That's where we're at. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Because Jesus specializes in calling ordinary people like us rather than the people of the world that seem so extraordinary. So if you think, I can't be in this epic because I'm just too ordinary. Look at what the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. The apostle Paul Inspired by the Holy Spirit. For consider your calling, brothers. And it almost sounds like he's been insulting, but he's just bringing them to reality. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Ordinary. Ordinary people who are willing to confess, repent, and obey. The Frodo's and the Sam's. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. I lean into that because I don't know about you, there are a lot of days when I feel weak. I don't think I can do this, God. And he says, good, that's where I want you because it's not about you, it's about my spirit within. He says, God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, 
so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemptions. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you feel ordinary, you're just the person God wants. Because if you feel more than ordinary, you got too much pride for God to use you. The one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. That's why I know some of you might get irritated with me sometimes because you go, oh, that was, you know, you'll compliment me on something and I'll go, well, I'm just glad to be God's conduit. And, and you think, well, you're, come on, Herb, you've got something to do with it. Not much. Because it's, if anything is of value, it's because it's the Spirit of God. Amen. It's not me. It's the Spirit of God. Number three, training and deployment for God's adventure. Training and deployment for God's adventure. It's on the job training, by the way. <laughs> you don't get to go off to college for five years out of the, out of the fray. When you confess and repent and begin to obey, you just signed up for battle in the kingdom of God. And the battle is to be fishers of men. Look at Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 19. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. This is Jesus before he has appointed the twelve and he's gathering followers. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The adventure is in being the salt and the light of Jesus, so that Jesus can be seen. They were, so he's talking to people who were professional fishermen, who would literally catch fish. He's saying, nah, you know, that was a gr- that's a great profession, but now I'm calling you to do the same thing with people so that people come to know Christ. That's the calling. Immediately they left their nets and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Now notice what they did. Remember what we said? Confess, repent, make a 180 degree turn, and obey. Immediately they left their nets. They left their old life. That's repentance. They're leaving their old life, and they followed him. That's what it's all about. It's following and being fishers of men. Training and deployment. Walking with Jesus so that he trained. Many of the problems you think you have is actually training that God is doing. So when you have problems, pause and ask God what this is about. What do you want me to do here? Because it's not a problem to be solved. It's an opportunity for him to take you through so that you become the person God wants you to be. And that will bring satisfaction. And I put a note in there. When we live like this, the pressure's off. We don't have to deliver anything because it's all about him. Our job is to confess, repent, and obey. To live in sync with Jesus, the sole responsibility is to live in sync and let him do the rest. Because if you look at in the New Testament, if you, if you use worldly metrics to identify whether they were successful or not, 
they were a bunch of failures. In, so, we don't know, man. I wish we had more time. Um, so in Jerusalem, when Jesus told them before he went back to the Father, he, he, in Matthew 28, he said, okay, I'm going back to the Father. Now, go make disciples of all nations, um, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, which is the country around, Samaria, that's the next country over, and to the ends of the earth. They go back to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit comes, but they still hang out in Jerusalem. And it grows. And by all earthly metrics, you're going, these guys are successful. They've gone from 12 to 120 to, you know, like 3,000 on Pentecost. And then it grows to 5,000 a chapter or so later in the book of Acts. It's growing. It's like, this, man, let's do a seminar on church growth. (laughs) Right? We have done, look at that. And so Stephen gets killed. He's martyred. If you know the story. And finally... All the Christians obey. They scatter to the ends of the earth. And now the church in Jerusalem has shrunk. By earthly metrics, they're failures. By God's metrics, they're doing exactly what God wants to do. And oftentimes in our lives, in your life, when you think you're failing the worst, you need to go to God to see if you are actually being most successful. Right side up. Right side up. And we see it over and over and over and over and over. Training and deployment for God's adventure. Just living in sync. He is responsible for the results, as well as providing and protecting as he leads us. Take a look now at the insert. As we approach our... A week of prayer and fasting and our prayer gathering. And you'll notice it's a little bit longer because I want you to, ho- I want you to be able to write on this and, and use this as a, as a point of reference. Let me do, I'll just read through it and make some commentary on it. So, that it's a, uh, so the dates are November 5th through the 12th. And the question I always ask is, what might happen if we seek God through prayer and fasting with everything we got? What might not happen if we don't? Our theme is alignment, living in sync with God. We are grateful. God has done substantial work since the previous week of prayer with fasting and the prayer gathering in July. Some of you have come to New Song or you have returned to New Song. Some of you have had your lives changed significantly. All of us have been experiencing His presence in more powerful ways as a result of what happened in July. Not because we earned it, not because we deserve it, but because we simply aligned with Him. Confess, repent, and obey. God promises to continue to build on that, on what He's doing as we get more and more in sync with Him. This is serious business. This isn't just something that we do. As we fast and pray and we, and we seek Him, it's about aligning ourselves with His purposes that are bigger than us. In James chapter 4, verses 6 to 10, but he gives, uh, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Fasting is a way to humble ourselves, is to put God on his throne, humble ourselves by denying ourselves something that is legitimately ours, which is food, in order to say a stronger yes to him. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Now he's talking to Christians. So it's not people who needed to get saved. He's talking to people who are following. He says, draw near. Focus on drawing near to God. How? Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Confession. So here's part of my challenge to us. If we want to really experience all that God has for us, we have to be willing to ask him, what is still in my life that is sinful? What is still in my life that I'm holding you at arm's length, that I, I know that you've told me to stop or start or adjust, and I'm not doing it? And, and I'm here to tell you, if you are not willing to do that, you are keeping yourself from experiencing what God wants to do in your life. And he, and he gets very direct. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you don't want. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Get serious about any kind of sinfulness. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Before we get to the week of prayer and fasting, I am challenging you to get as serious as you've ever been in listening to God. Even if you've been a Christian, you don't think there's anything in your life, go to God. Because the devil has this sly way of deceiving us to think that something may be okay. And it may be okay for other people. But he may be saying to you, no. Amen. Fasting is a means then, a practice God has provided to, be, for, for, to help us get that serious about staying in sync with him. It's God's invitation from his father's heart. It's not a punishment. It's not, a, it's not from a demanding authority. Fasting is the most powerful way to grow in intimacy and alignment with him and submit ourselves to him. Mm-hmm. And on the back, it gives you information about fasting, what it is, what it might look like. But fasting is simply this, giving up some kind of food in some way because it, it, giving that up so that you can say a bigger yes to God. Mm-hmm. And the big part of it is Every time you want to eat that is you pray the fasting prayer. The fasting prayer is this. God, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want in my life. Every time, so if, if God may say to some of you, coffee, and you are an avid coffee drinker, and every time you want to pick up a cup of coffee, you go, oh God, I love you more than coffee. Do whatever you want in my life. And you pray that prayer every time you want coffee for a week, and you've prayed it more than you will pray in the next six months. And it draws us to him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I put significance. I believe that it's, a, it's significant. There's something that God wants to do. And so here's the challenge. To prepare in advance, and, I, and that's down below, to put greater effort than usual into fasting. Spend greater than usual unhurried time with God. That's why I'm saying prepare in advance. Schedule it so that you can do these things. Because if you wait till November 5th, your schedule is already full. Mm-hmm. Pay greater attention to God throughout the day and obey. Mm-hmm. Pray the fasting prayer more often. Lord, I love you more than food. Do whatever you want in my life. Participate in the prayer gathering. And here's how to, here's how to prepare. Daily surrender. Lord, I give myself to you. I entrust all of me to you. Confess. Ask God to show you any and all sins, small, large, what you need to come clean on. If there are big things in your life, 
I put big confession. If there are lifestyle sins, long-term things that you have been uh, holding on to, strongholds that have grabbed your heart, you need somebody else to be praying for you. Mm-hmm. James chapter 5, on the, on the next part of that, it says, is anyone, anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. If any, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let him pray over him, anointing him with oil. In the name of the Lord. And the prayer of the faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he, has, if he has committed sin, he will be forgiven. Therefore, verse 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You are forgiven by confessing your sins to God. You are healed emotionally, in addictions, mentally, physically, by confessing those to somebody else. I don't know why. It's God, this way God has designed it. So if you've got something that you have not been able to conquer, find another Christ follower that you respect, confess it, come clean, have them pray for you so that you can beat the stronghold. Then do repent, do a U-turn, obey, do whatever God asks. And then the prayer gathering, there's information there. I put at the bottom of the, that right side, um, the kind of request, the request that we're, uh, we're going to be focusing on during our week of prayer and fasting, you can look that over. And then on the back side is more information about uh, fasting and ways to do it. If you have any questions about that, talk to me, talk to somebody else that has practiced it. I'm telling you, fasting is obedience on steroids. It is. There is no way that I know to gain intimacy and alignment with God um, better than fasting. Um, Here's a sin that I will confess to you. Just, just so that you, you get an idea. Um, so I, I made fun of my granddaughters because the dopamine hit. But we have it too. Mm-hmm. There are a couple of games that I used to play on my phone. And all they are are connecting three dots that disappear. Over and over and over again. Just three dots that disappear. And, and I would, I, you know, I, and the last time I started playing, I was on vacation. I'm thinking, I just need something mindless to do, you know. So I, and I just, it, it just somehow, it just, I kept going to it when I should have been doing other things. Three dots that disappear. Oh, but I get to, I, I'm at level 147. Look at that. I look back at that and go, what in the world? I'm at level 127 of a game that all you do is connect three dots and they disappear. That's doing something for the kingdom of God, isn't it? Amen. And so, I, 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 and, and here's why it was sin. Because God started saying, that's in the way. That's in the way. Because your mind's going to that instead of going to other things. It's not that it's wrong for everybody. It's not that it is just a horrible thing. It was wrong for me, because he said, don't, and I kept doing it. I said, God, this is too hard. And, he, and I, felt, I, felt like the Holy, I felt like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in heaven laughing, going, too hard, Herb, turn the phone off. That's all it is. But it had gotten me. That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, I don't think any of you are going out on the weekends murdering people. I don't think. 
Although some of you, I have a little suspicion. <laughs> I think it's that little stuff. It's the little stuff. Lord, I pray that you would take what we've talked about today and you would drive it deep in our souls. Not because you're mad, but because you love us. That we would be able to hear your invitation to experience more. That you would give us the ability to, to confess and repent and obey, to gain freedom, to be the people of God. I pray for each one of these folks, God. Bother them until they um, allow you to do what you want to do. And then overwhelm them with a sense of your love, your joy, your pride, your delight. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.